You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right, we are going to have a handyman contest. All right, and here's how it's going. I have in my possession, because I didn't lose this one, uh, a $50 Home Depot card. All right, so I need three volunteers. We are in in a series called Make. And we have been talking about the things that make us more like Christ. Uh, how when we say yes to Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and take us from A to C and the things that, that work in us to, to help us become who we are. So the things that make us. And today we're going to talk about the things that make us into uh, great leaders and a great men and women of God. And we're going to highlight uh, fathers today as well. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask some of you guys who, who thinks that you're pretty handy man. Anybody else thinks you're pretty handy? All right. I need three men who think they're pretty handy to come down here. All right. Three men who think they're pretty handy. Johnny, I know you're pretty handy. You might. And Mike, I know you're pretty handy. Anybody? It doesn't. All right, come on down here, Jonathan. All right, we got Corey right here and Mike. All right, we've got four. So one of you, if one of you could could change your mind. <laughs> oh, thank you, Johnny, after I called you up. All right, so go ahead and take your place behind uh, these piles of wood. You have the exact same, and by the way, uh, well, I'll tell you a minute. You actually are going to get a prize just for playing, just for being a part. Uh, as I begin my message, you might want to move down a little bit, Jonathan, and, and uh, you're probably as far as you can go. You might take your stuff over a little bit. And uh, each of you have um, a box of nails, which in itself it takes a handyman just to get the box open, because that is a weird... Uh, and you have the exact same pieces of wood, and uh, you have a, a hammer, and then you have a package of hinges with no screwdriver, because... You make it happen when you don't have a screwdriver, right? So uh, you have a hammer, though. That's all you need. So I'm going to give you some time, five-plus minutes, and I'm going to begin my message. And I want you to make something. Make anything at all. I mean, you can make a uh, a door. Sorry, I can't give you any ideas. Oh, forget I said that. Uh, You can make whatever you want. Um, It's up to you to use your handyman skills and uh, then... You guys will vote, and the person who makes the most interesting thing will receive a $50 Home Depot card, uh, or maybe you can get your money back and get a Band-Aid, all right, because you might smash your thumb or finger. All right, so as you guys start, go ahead and begin, and uh, do what you need to do. Ooh, he's already, looks like a miter box. All right, no commentary from me. We're going to jump right in. All right, today we're going to pick up where we left off in Second uh, Corinthians. Previously on Second Corinthians, we've been walking through this journey with Paul. The Apostle Paul planted a church in Second Corinthians, and then several years later, I'm going to I'm going to work over this hammer because that's I'm skilled like that. I I can make it work. <laughs> this was a bad idea. <laughs> All right. He's going to town. All right. I can't help but wonder what you're making. Okay. All right. Oh, boy. I don't don't know if I want to talk. All right. Paul planted this church in 2 Corinthians. 
And then the church disowned him, didn't want anything to do with them. Here's a guy who led them to Christ, baptized them, was a part of baptizing their family, spent years with them, poured his life, his heart into these people. A group of people came in behind him and said he was a nothing, he was nobody. They contradicted everything that he said. And so he wrote these series of letters to try to encourage them to listen to him. So we're going to pick up where we left off. And uh, Paul is a spiritual father to these guys. So today on Father's Day, we're going to hear the heart of a dad to his kids. And uh, we're going to see what Paul's unique skill set was as a spiritual father that made him so influential in their life. So we're going to take what Paul has done. We're going to take what, (laughs) that's just one person. These guys are going to start banging in just a minute. We're going to take what Paul has done as a spiritual father, and we're going to apply it to our life. All right. We're going to try this at least. All right, here we go. What does a dynamic leader and spiritual father and father look like? As Paul, the example, let's take a look. Second Corinthians 10 verse one is where we left off. By the way, uh, I said I was going to end the series today. We're actually going to end it next week because there's just too much great stuff in Second Corinthians to cram into one week. So next week is our final week of Second Corinthians. So verse one, it says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. This is a complete change in tone from, from last week. He says, I appeal to you. I beg you. He says, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away, I beg that when I come, I may not leave. I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think they live by the standards of this world. Here's the deal. He's saying, you know what? When I write these letters to you, I'm pretty harsh. I'm I'm very uh, bold. I'm up front. And when I'm face to face with you, I tend to be a little bit more calm, a little bit more uh, under control. And I want you to write this down. If you're a father, if you're a spiritual leader, even if you're a parent, a mother, if you're a friend, let's look at the spiritual father of Paul and listen to him. A good father is this models meekness, models meekness. Let me explain that for just a minute. He says, I live differently. I don't, I'm not forceful. I'm not obnoxious. I don't make blank threats. And you know, when you make me mad, I don't just shout at you. I don't don't scream at you. I think through what I'm going to say. And since we're not around, I write a letter to you. But basically, it is strength under control. I want to encourage you dads for just a minute. Are you meek? I'm not talking about weak. Meek is strength under control. And I see a lot of guys, they feel like to be a man, they got to be harsh. They got to be tough. They got to constantly tell their kids to suck it up. You know, be a man. You know, those are the things I joke around my daughters that I tell them. If they're, I used to say, be a man, you know, and, but they joke. It's, it's funny. We, we do it as a kid or, or man up. But I, we do it as a joke because a good father does not put upon their kids this harsh attitude. Paul says, you know what? I have, I have strength, but it's under control. I'm not prone to lose my temper. Some of you dads, you know what? The thing that you remember about your dad, unfortunately, is that he was harsh and that he was tough, and that he had a horrible temper. That's what some of you remember about your dad. I don't think you want that to be your story. Paul has set us an example here. 
Model meekness. He goes on, verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. He said that means they're not carnal. He says it's not of the flesh. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You guys have about three, maybe four minutes left to show us your masterpiece. And I'm only hearing a couple of people's hammers. This is what Paul says. I want you to write this down. Leaders, and I'm talking to dads, especially today, leaders, you know how to fight. You fight on your knees. You fight on your knees. And here's the deal. Guys, listen. And we're talking to dads, but we're talking to everybody today. I want you to know something. There is a war going on right now for the heart of your children. There is a war going on right now for the heart of your grandchildren. There is somebody in this room right now whose children and grandchildren and wife and family are going through a fight, and it's a spiritual fight. And the Apostle Paul says, the great leaders understand how to fight. It's not ringing the doorbell and knocking someone's lights out. It's getting on your knees and bringing down strongholds that are spiritual. I love this. You know, we have people in our life who are who have a chain of addiction uh, of of temptation uh, they have a, a chain uh, of attack of bondage around them dads it's time to pray mom it's time to pray he goes he says in verse 5 he says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ Here's two things in this, guys, is number one, listen, number one, there's a fight going on for your family and loved one's life, and there's a fight going on for your life. And Paul says we need to get to a place where we understand that there's a war, and we need to bring those thoughts into captivity. There's a war. Some of you guys, you need to hit your knees for your family. And guys, listen, some of you need to hit your knees for yourself. You need to take those thoughts captive, those attacks, that lust, that insecurity, that anger, that rage, whatever it is, mom or dad, doesn't matter, teenager, doesn't matter. You need to take those thoughts captive and bring them into submission to God's word. See, that's what a leader understands, that the real war is fought on their knees. He goes on to say this. In verse 5, he says, I do not think I am the least inferior to those super apostles. That's sarcasm. He's talking about those guys that came in behind him and tried to tell him that Paul was nothing. And they lifted themselves as being like some super person. These so-called super apostles, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. He's going to talk a little bit about, whoops, sorry, I actually read the complete wrong verse. You're like, what? Um, Verse 6 is where we should be. And we know that we are ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Thank you, Luke. You're probably going, what is going on? Corey's done. Oh, my goodness. All right, we'll give you guys two more minutes. Don't look. 
Wow. It's pretty impressive. (laughs) All right, two more minutes. Wow, verse 6. Once you're ready to listen, he says this. Verse 3, leaders and fathers, follow through on discipline. Follow through on discipline. There's some practical things here. He says, we don't leave it to others, but we care enough to hold others accountable for their actions. He says, you know what, guys? He says, when I'm away, I'm not, I don't just give you blind or, or vague or, or empty advice. He says, when I show up, I'm going to follow through on my obedience of, of, of disciplining you. I'm going to follow through on what I say I'm going to do. Dads, listen. It's time for you. I'm talking to dads specifically today about some of these, but these apply to a lot of you. But dads, listen, it's time for you to step up and be a disciplinarian in your home. I'm talking a meek, a strength under control, grace-filled, wars not in the flesh, but in the spirit, disciplinarian. It's time for some of you to quit taking a back seat to your wife's role in disciplining the children. I know that's kind of simple for a lot of guys. Well, you know what? You're home most of the time. I'm working all the time. I'm just tired. Uh, you know, and we just kind of guys resign ourselves. It's time because that's what a good leader does. That's what a good spiritual father does. That's what a good father does. He follows through on discipline. He doesn't just say it. He actually follows through. Take an active role with grace, humility, and with strength. Verse 7. Actually, I'm going to give you guys two more minutes because I'm really curious as to what uh, is being built over here. Two more minutes. Take a look at the clock when it gets to 10, if you guys could be done. Uh, Let's go on. Verse 7, he says, you are judging by appearance. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. People began to compare themselves with these leaders. They began to compare Paul with these other guys. And he says, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I'm not ashamed of it. He says, I shouldn't have to tell you what I've done. He says, I do not want to seem to be like I'm trying to frighten you with my letters. I'm not trying to force my way. I'm not writing these letters so that you will just kind of fearfully submit. He says, for some day, For some say about Paul that his letters, Paul's letters, are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking accounts to nothing. Guys, let me tell you something. Paul, who wrote a third of the Bible, was not a great speaker, believe it or not. In fact, one time the book of Acts says he he spoke for so long that he knocked a bunch of people out into sleep and one guy fell out of a window and died. (laughs) Thank God Paul moved to miracles because he went down and raised the dead. And then they went up and he preached until the next day. All right? I'm sure they're going to... So if you fall asleep on me, I'm like, hey, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Jesus. No, I'm just kidding about that. But uh, I don't want you to fall asleep. But if you do, I get it. Verse 4, I mean, number 4, I want you to write this down. Leaders and fathers are measured by spiritual success, not by physical victories. Some of you guys, you look in the mirror and you say, man, I don't seem like much. I don't, I, I don't look like that other dad. I'm not Ward Cleaver. I'm not from Leave it to Beaver. I'm not that TV dad. I'm not that guy who, who's my, my kid's best friend's dad, whatever. A lot of times, uh, you know, guys, we compare ourselves just as much as other people do. And we say, well, I don't look like the typical dad. I, I don't, I, you know, maybe you feel like you don't have the skills. Maybe you're not athletic. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you just don't like sports. Maybe handiwork is not your thing. Maybe you're not into electronics. You think I'm not like other dads and you, you feel like maybe you're unprepared. 
Maybe your father wasn't around and you don't even know how to be a dad. I talk to a lot of new dads and that's honestly their, their greatest fear. My dad wasn't around. I don't even like my dad. What if my kids don't like me? You know, what, what if, what if I, I, I'm the same thing my dad was? What if I'm so disconnected that they don't even want to be around me? I have two daughters. We don't have a, uh, a boy. And, and you know what? Uh, it worried me when we first had kids. I mean, I, I can maybe figure out having a daughter, but this whole boy thing, I, man, I, I, I would struggle because my dad was absentee and, and, uh, you know, I, I got to remind myself that it's, I'm judged by my spiritual success with my family, not my physical victories. It's not about how many trophies I have on the wall. It's not about how many great accomplishments or how much money I make. It is how much time am I giving to them? How closer to God are they? Are you may not look like the typical dads and others might judge you, but you know that God is with you and using you and working in you. All right, before we go on to the next one, I'm going to have to call time on both you guys here. So uh, we're going to start over here with Corey since he's gone. He told me what it was when he left. It was a mailbox. Okay. And this uh, looks like a window frame, I'm guessing. An unfinished window frame, but it looks pretty sturdy and solid. Okay. This, uh, this is pretty nice. A window box. Okay, and why don't you show us what you got, Jonathan? Oh, it's got a little. All right, here, um, can, you, can everybody see that? Here's, yeah, if you could stand up with it a little bit. He's used, he's, he used the hinge. All right, now these are all pretty sharp. And uh, by the way, everybody walks away a winner because uh, you get the hammer. So uh, take that and the nails. You get a whole box in it. And you can have the hinges too, the unused hinges. And if you want your creation, you can have that too. But Corey, uh, make sure to get your hammer and your, your uh, nails. Go ahead and leave this down here. I'll, I'll, you can get it later. Uh, and uh, let's vote over here. Let's say uh, Jonathan, make some noise. All right. Michael, make some noise. All right. And Corey, make some noise. I think, personally, I think it might have been Corey. It's pretty unique design. And uh, be sure to take away your prizes. And uh, thank you, Mike. Good job. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Corey. You guys did get a hammer and... You can finish that and come back and prove us all wrong, right? No. Mike is a very handy man, very handy guy. All right, we're going to continue on, and uh, we're going to use this illustration up here. This is what God is making. God takes uh, rough wood. He takes uh, things that, uh, of chaos. He, takes, he just takes the ingredients, the portions and parts of our life, and he can make us into something quite unique and different. Maybe you as a dad, you're not really sure what God can use to make you out of. And you maybe look at your past or look at your, your past and your family and think, I don't know if God can make me into be the, the, the dad that I need. Some of you guys, you're grown men. You're, your children are grown now. And you're, you think maybe you've missed that chance. You've missed that opportunity. You haven't. You haven't at all. You know, my dad was absentee. And if he called me today and wanted to be a part of my life, he'd be welcome into my life. I get a phone call every now and then. I might get one on my birthday in a couple of weeks because I can, unless I contact him, I don't hear from him. But if he were to call me and say, hey, son, I'm sorry, 
Can I be a part? I'd say, Dad, yes. Because we're not judged by our physical victories, but by our spiritual success. Verse 11, he says, some people should realize that what we are in our letters, when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. Paul did not put on an act. He was not trying to press someone. He was not going to back down. I want you to write this down. Leaders, fathers, if you want to be a dynamic leader, you're someone who's going to be the same no matter where you are. You're not one way at work going, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm this type of person. I'm foul-mouthed and, you know, laughing, you know, telling dirty jokes that my wife wouldn't like. And then I'm cleaning up my language when I get around the kids. You're the same place, the same person every place you are. You're the real deal. You're the real person. You know, you're not, you're not one way with your buddies and one way with your kids. Now, you might be a little bit more kid-oriented with your kids, but you're not phony. You know what I'm saying? And that's something you can, I, I believe, say about our family, about our life, because we have people in our home all the time. Man, I'm the same every day. I, I'm not fake. I'm not phony. And, I, and that's what I want my kids to see, that my dad is the real deal, that he doesn't put on the pastor hat when he comes to church, and he's not screaming and yelling at him on our way to church, and then I'm pretending to be like some holy preacher in front of you guys. If I make mistakes, I own up to him. And I'm not, and I want to be the type of person in private with my children, my family that I am with you. The same person. Verse 12, he goes on, he says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. He says, it's not about comparing ourselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. Man, if you're trying to look in the mirror and compare yourself to what you have and haven't done compared to somebody else. He says, it's unwise. Why are we trying to measure ourselves to others? He says, verse 13, we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us. He says, man, I'm going to accept and own where I've been called to be and who I'm called to be. He says, a sphere that also includes you. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. He says, I'm not going to take credit for what somebody else has done. He says, our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will also uh, will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in somebody else's territory. Write this down. Great leaders, great dads, they know their role. And they recognize other people's roles. Here's the deal, guys. Dad, it's time for you to own the role of dad and pastor. I always tell dad, you're a pastor. You know that, right? You're a shepherd of one if you only have a wife. And you're a shepherd of fill in the blank. Like we got a shepherd of eight right over here, right? You're a pastor of eight. As well as uh, on staff of a church trying to shepherd you guys as best as as outreach minister. And, And some of you, you have grandchildren, and your, your shepherd, your, your flock has just grown. It's time to accept that role as a leader in the realm that God has assigned you, like Paul says, and accept and understand the role that others around you play. It's time to accept your wife has a role to play too in this family, right? She's a significant leader in your home as well. And it's time for you to own your role and to acknowledge her role and not take credit for the things that she has done and to own the things and take responsibility that you are to be doing. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? It's time to recognize our role, Dad. 
as a father of my wife and kids and I, we are a team. And I understand my role and their role. As a pastor, I understand that the guys that work on our staff and in our team, we're, I understand their role. I understand my role. We work. And when they do something great, like today was great worship, man, I'm going to honor those that, whom honor should be given, right? My, my wife does an amazing job training and teaching our kids in homeschool. And, and I, I'm the principal, which basically means I'm kind of, you guys get in line type of guy. You know, I, I, I do a weekly uh, home Bible study with our kids, but my wife is raising my kids and they are intelligent, they're smart. Thank God to my wife who's taken that role and I wanna honor her for that. Husbands, honor your wives for the role that they play in the home. He goes, verse 17, he says, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. God knows what I've done. I don't have to go around telling everybody how great I am. That's what Paul says. I don't have to put a list of all my great accomplishments and hand out resumes to everybody so that you can understand who I am, what I've done. You know, in the 20 uh, years I've been a pastor, in the 25 years I've been in ministry, I don't, I don't put my resume in the worship guide to tell you all my accomplishments. I'm gonna let the Lord do that for me. Here's what I tell people. If you have a great gift of singing or you're a great athlete or a great with computers or whatever, you're great at cooking, whatever your skill is, do it to the very best of your ability as unto the Lord, and, but do it. I mean, get out there and do it by serving people with it. And you know what will happen? Your gift will make room for you and the Lord will commend you. You don't have to commend yourself. If you're a great singer and you serve the Lord and give God the glory for that, God will advance you and make you great in the eyes of others because you've made him great. You realize that, right? If you're an athlete and you're really good at it, don't say, hey, I'm awesome. Look at all the awards I've won. You just get out there and do your best as unto the Lord and give God the glory and God will commend you. He will raise you up in front of others. Your gift will make room for you. So whenever somebody comes to me and tells me of all their great things that they've done, I say, well, jump in and serve and let the Lord commend you. Because if you're as good as you say that you are, it will show. This is what Paul says. And this is number seven. Fathers, know their ability comes from Jesus. If there's anything good in me, if there's anything good in me, if there's anything right in me, if I've done anything right in my family, it's the Lord. Because on my own, I'm a selfish person. The Lord gets the glory and, and uh, the Lord will commend me if necessary, if it's in his, in his will. Second Corinthians 11, 1 says, I hope that you will put up with me with a little foolishness. I like this, what he gets here. He says, yes, please put up with me. He says, I'm about to get a little dumb here because I want to tell you, verse two, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He says, let me be silly, uh, silly for a minute. I am not jealous of you because that is not godly jealousy. I'm jealous for you. That means I deeply am impassioned for you and love you. You ever been jealous? Anybody here ever been jealous? You seem to guys are afraid to say it. You know what? Jealousy, even the bad kind of jealousy, it's a powerful force. It can be a powerful force for bad or for for good, right? You know, if you if it's a godly jealousy, it can motivate you to do powerful things. If it's a if it's an ungodly jealousy, it can make it can ruin relationships, right? Jealousy is a powerful force. It says, "I'm jealous for you. I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you 
as a pure virgin to him. Man, this is so deep. Listen to this. As a pastor, you know what I want to do one day? As a pastor, I want to stand before the Lord and be able to point out to the people that have been in my life for the last 20 years and say, God, these are people that I've been a part of and and I've been able to, to walk through the journey of maturity with them. And Lord, here they are. And I present them to you. You know, as a pastor, my role is to be able to one day present you to the Lord as pure before the Lord. As we are his bride, he is our husband uh, in a spiritual context. And Paul says, you know what? I want to be able to stand before God and say, Lord, here they are. I've done my best. Here they are. You know what? I, that's my heart, not only for you, but for my children. You know, more than anything else in the whole world, I want to stand before God and say, God, here's my kids, Lord. I've done my very best to present them to you as pure followers of Christ. He says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I want you to write this down. Good leaders, good dads, good fathers, you protect your family. What he's about to talk about now, we're going to spend just a few minutes talking about this whole idea of protecting your family, what a good leader does to look out for those that they love. He says, I'm worried. Protect from what? Protect from people, real people. The Bible calls them wolves. Listen, parents, guys, listen. Dads, there are those out there who want to lead your family astray. There are friends of theirs. There's culture. There is a view of life. And they want to take them down the path of the enemy and devour them. Paul says a good leader, a good father, a good parent does something about it. This is what he says. These are the people you need to be ready for. He goes, verse four, he says, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preach, that means it matters what they say about Jesus. He goes, and if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, he says, you know what? If you're a good leader, your spirit, the spirit of God in you will say something about what's going on. You know, sometimes, Dad, you get this moving in your spirit. Something just doesn't feel right, right? That's the Spirit of God maybe working in you. He says, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. What they say about eternity, about salvation matters. He says, he says but you put up with it so easily. He's frustrated. He says, why are you putting up with people who are trying to hurt your family? This is intense. Paul says, be aware. There are people out there who want to misuse you. They want to misuse scripture. They want to lead them away from Jesus. They want to change their perspective of what the Bible says about who God is, about who Jesus is, about heaven. And it's time to stand for those in your family and stand against those who come against who Jesus is. Write this down. Guys, dads, parents, friends, we need to protect those, uh, protect those we love from those who are deceptive. From those who are deceptive. Be involved. Here's a tip for you dads. Be involved with what your kids put in their brain. Be involved with what they are listening to. Man, I've been in youth ministry for 25 years. It blows my mind. The music that 
Christian families, who should know better? I mean, non-Christian families, I get it, man. You're on the journey. You're trying to figure this out. But families who've been Christian households and the things that you allow your children to put into their spirit blows my mind. It matters what you put in their head. You are, they're going to be grown-ups one day if you are a parent of a child that's still in the home. And they will have the rest of their life to pick whatever they want. For this short period of their life under your roof, you have the responsibility to pick what they put in their brain. I tell my daughters that all the time. I said, well, you know, when you're 18 or 20 or 30, whenever you move out, (laughs) I said, whenever you leave, then you can decide whatever you put in your brain. But as long as you're uh, young and in my house, I'm going to help you make the right choices. Because left to ourselves, guys, we make poor choices, don't we? Even as grownups, left to ourselves, we make poor choices. Paul says it matters what you put in your brain. Dads, moms, listen to culture, to friends, to where they're going, to movies, to college. For crying out loud, some of you, your kids are barely know how to get up and get to school on time. And you want to send them to a college that's 100 miles away. Nobody walked them through that train. Just because they walked down the aisle and got a diploma doesn't mean they're a grown up yet. Doesn't mean they can make right choices. It doesn't mean they don't need you to help them through that transition period. Lies of the enemy that try to deceive and lead us astray. Paul says, protect them. That's what a good leader does. That's what a good father does. Protects them from deception. Verse five, he says, I do not think that I'm the least in fear of these super apostles. These, again, sarcasm. This is what I was reading earlier. It says, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, But I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. He says, some of these guys who are are leading you astray and leading our kids astray, man, they are good at what they do. He says, man, they're great teachers. Man, the music's great. They're extremely smart college professors. By the way, I think college is a great idea if it's for you. I'm not anti-college, but where they go to college and being in their life for that first couple of years of college is extremely important. He says, man, these false teachers, they're great teachers. They're great musicians. They're great TV preachers. But don't buy the lie. He says, verse 7, he says, what is a sin for me? He goes, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of Christ, the, the gospel of God to you free of charge? He never took up an offering. He says, I robbed other churches. That's sarcasm. He didn't like literally rob them. He says, I took money from other churches by receiving support from them so that I could serve you. See, this was customary. By the way, this is not about not paying pastors. Look at 1 John 9, 14. He says, this is Paul saying to the same church. He says, in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. The entire book of 1 John chapter 9 is all about how if someone's committed their life to shepherding, then uh, you should not feel bad or should not expect to be able to let them make a living doing that. He says, but this is what it is. He says, the difference between you, Corinth, and all these other churches that I planted is that you wanted to use money to control me. He says, this is not about paying a pastor. This is about a church trying to own Paul and control him with money. So Paul didn't want that wall. He says, I don't want your money. If money is going to be a barrier between you and me, then I don't want your money. 
I will come and I will live with you for several years, which he did, and preach the gospel. Let somebody else pay for me so that you can hear the gospel, so that you won't hold that against me. He says, but now you're paying the wolves? The people, and this kind of goes back to, you know, the things, there are people lying to your family and you just bought their CD. There are people that you are that are lying to your family and you're allowing that influence in their life in a relationship or at a place that you go. And, and it, the same people look at the pastor and go, eh, not worth it. Somebody else will do it, by the way. Paul says, I don't get it. He says, I, I didn't expect to take your money because I knew that you weren't mature enough. He says, but now you're paying the wolves? He says, and when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of God is in me, is the truth of Christ, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I don't love you. And he says, of course I do. I love his sarcasm. He says, why? Because I don't love you? God knows I do. He says, you know what, guys? I love you, Corinth. I've given my life. I've sacrificed my life these last several years for you. I took nothing from you, and yet you're going to look out and put up with these wolves that want nothing to control you? Paul says these false teachers only want your money. There's a difference between making a living and getting risked. Jesus and Paul, a uh, false hope. I want you to write this down. It's time that we, as fathers, as leaders, we need to protect our family from the users. People who use them. And this is what he's talking about. He says, these guys, all they want to do is use you. All they want to do is manipulate you. All they want to do is get something from you. And, and guys, you know what? Dads, moms... Friends, looking out for your other friends, you know what a good leader does? We protect those that we love from those that are using them. It might be a boyfriend. It might be a girlfriend. It might be a boss. It might be a friend. It might even be a church. If there is a person or a group of people that are attempting to use and drain the life out of those that you love, be a man, be a leader, be a, be a parent, be a friend. Step up, step in and protect them from the users. He goes on verse 12. He says, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing. He says, I'm not going to back down. He says, in order to cut ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things that they boast about. He says, I'm not going to stop and I'm going to try to cut down the, the, uh, the ground underneath them so that they will trip up. He says, I'm going to try to trip them up. Verse 13, it says, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. Paul often warned of wolves. Jesus warned of wolves. Peter warned of wolves. They eat those that are followers of Christ. They will eat you alive. I want you to write this down. We need to protect people that we love. We need to protect them from the phonies, from the phonies. As a pastor, I'm here to protect you from the fakes, the frauds, the tricksters, the charlatans, the shams, the swindlers, the imposters. And I am like the Apostle Paul. I will not back down. I will name names and call people out in the, in the church world that are fakes. Well, they're popular. They have a TV show. They have a number one bestseller. I don't care. If they are charlatan, if they are fake, if they are phony, if they are trying to manipulate you or deceive you or trick you, 
I have a responsibility as a spiritual dad to protect you. And you know what, dads, you do too. It is time for you to step in. Verse 14, he says, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He says, it's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. He says, don't be fooled. Even false teachers can do good things. Even this guy who does not preach or this person or this church or this whatever, even a cult can do humanitarian work, basically. You know, even a cult can live a, a righteous life. Even people who are leading your family astray can be good people. Hmm. He says, Satan is referred in the scriptures, by the way, to three forms that tempt us. He's called the subtle serpent. He's called a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And he's called an angel of light. And there are people that are servants of Satan, according to verse 15, fake and phony friends and preachers who, whose end is to take them. Satan often looks good and sometimes even does good, but the end is to trick and lead them away. Dads, be aware. There might be a boyfriend out there that is, man, he's, he's a good-looking guy. He's got a good job. He's responsible. His car actually starts when you turn the key. And he knows how to change his own oil. <laughs> yeah. Who knows how to do that anymore that's under 20, right? But he could be angel of darkness masquerading as an angel of light. He might be leading your daughter down a path that you don't want him to take, your daughter. Or some girl. This guy goes to church. He's there every day. He sits next to me. You're in this room right now. But you're not a follower of Christ, and you might be leading that person down a path that eventually you're hoping leads away from their walk with God. As a dad, the guy who says he's a follower of Jesus. You know, I mean, I'm just being a dad. You know, I'm going to pick my girlfriend's boyfriends apart. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to first, I'm going to introduce them to my tools. I will probably become a gun owner by that time. And I will let him know that I'm taking lessons to be a ace one shooter, right? And then I will say, tell me about your walk with God. Verse 16, he says, I repeat, he says, yeah, because if it doesn't work out and I, and I make a mistake and misjudge you, at least you're going to heaven, right? Verse 16, he says, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. He says, but if you do, then tolerate me just like you would a fool. He says, I'm no dummy. It says, you might think I'm a dummy, but if you think I'm a dummy, then put up with this dummy for just a minute. He says, so that I may do a little boasting. He says, in this self Confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. He says, I'm just going to talk to you from my heart. This isn't necessarily from God. All right, he's being honest. He says, what I'm about to say isn't inspired from God. It's just me being honest with you. And he says, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I'm going to boast too. He says, I will too. So the next part is all sarcasm. All right, so I want you to hear the sarcasm. That's why he says, this isn't from the Lord. This is from me because he gets real sarcastic. He says, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. 
arrogance, uh, sarcasm. He's talking about them. In fact, you've even put up with anyone who enslaves you and exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs. That means someone who lords over you and even slaps you in the face. You know, it wasn't uncommon at that time for a spiritual leader to slap people in the face. I'm thinking of adopting that. (laughs) Do you disagree with me? If you could stand over here, because my right's a little bit stronger. I'm just kidding. Um, He says, you listen, you put up with horrible people. He says, I don't get it. Verse 21, to my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. (laughs) He's being sarcastic. He says, I would never do that. He says, man, you put up with a whole lot more than I would. He says, whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast. He says, man, they are bold in their lies. I too will be foolishly bold. They like to boast about how awesome they are. Well, here comes, I'm about to tell you how awesome I am. All right. False teachers, by the way, like to control people. That verse in 20 says that they, um, he says, they enslave you and exploit you to take advantage of you. And I want you to write this down, that a good father protects those that you love from the controllers. A good leader does that. A good parent does that. A good friend does that. You protect from the controllers. There are those that want to control and manipulate and guilt you. People often allow themselves. He says, this is the shame of you guys. You're allowing yourself to be controlled. He says, I don't get it. Some of you in this room, you're allowing yourself to be controlled and manipulated and used by a boss, by a person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a coach, a belief system. Some of you even by a church. Leaders, dads, look out, protect them. From the controllers. So Paul says, all right, they've been boasting about how awesome they are. Let me tell you a little bit what a leader looks like. This is what he says. Verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. He says, are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. These are all very high caliber important features for a leader uh, in their mindset. He says, are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. (laughs) I love the way Paul says, (laughs) he says, do I love Jesus more than they do? He says, I'm out of my mind for saying it like this. He says, and I want you to hear this. He says, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That means he just missed death five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger of the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food. I've even been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And to top it off, I worry about you. And the churches like you that just don't seem to be getting it. He says, who is weak 
and I do not feel weak. He says, man, my body is beaten down, but my spirit is strong. He says, who is led into sin. That means I battle temptation, but I do not inwardly burn. That means, but I don't give into it. Here's the reality of a good leader. Here's the reality of a good father, of a good friend. Sometimes it's hard. So join the kingdom of God. It's hard. Become a believer. It's hard. A lot of us, we say, hey, be a Christian. Everything's going to be like rainbows, carabales, butterflies, and unicorns, you know. You know, it won't. It's going to be hard. There's a good chance that following and living for Jesus is going to be harder than not following Jesus. You realize that, right? Because there will be people that will hate you, mock you, discourage you. And the enemy who is out to deceive us, to eat us, and to lead us and our family astray has now put you on his list of targets. Those that are lost, the enemy has got. He doesn't mess with them. He messes with the believers. And Paul says, you know what? They like to tell you how great they are. I'm going to tell you how much hell I've gone through. And I want you to know that being a leader, being a dad, you guys know sometimes it's hard. It's going to be hard to stand up for what is right, to protect your family, to protect your children, to be a good leader as a friend, to be a good pastor, to be a good minister. Doing the right thing is often harder than you've ever imagined. Verse 30 says, if I must boast, by the way, he could have told about his great achievements, about his great education, because he was one of the most educated men of the entire early church. He was a Pharisee among Pharisees and taught, he was taught at the greatest Bible uh, school in, of its time. Uh, he also wrote more of the Bible and wrote more letters and wrote more books. His ministry experience everywhere he went, circles took place. He had great visions. He planted more churches. He'd been to more countries. He led more people to Christ than anyone in that time. He was possibly one of the greatest minds of the era of ancient times, of ancient Rome. And he didn't boast of a single one of these things. Instead, he boasted in his scars. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. He says, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, even the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. He says, let me tell you, the entire city shut down to try to catch me. He says, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. He says, I barely made it out alive. And then he says, verse one, he says, but... I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. He says, I'm going to tell you some more, which we're going to talk about next week. He says, but I don't even think you're listening. False teachers are self-glory chasers. They like the spotlight. Ah, thank you, Sean. They're glory junkies. They want affirmation. They want the position. They want the popularity. They want the parking space. They want the title. They like the recognition. They like to say, look at me. I'm awesome. But Paul says, Jesus gets the glory. My scars are tell my story. I want you to write this down. This is the last thing. Leaders, fathers, will let history tell their story with Jamaican music in the background. Yaman. So here's the deal. One day, my kids will be growing up. They'll be out of my house. And I'll be a grandfather like some of you. Their lives, their story, their history will be my story. Paul says, I don't need to tell you how great I am. I'm going to let my life tell my story. 
So guys, I have a question for you. One day, somebody will be talking about you. You're going to be dead. Turn to the person you love next to you and say, one day I'll be dead. <laughs> what are you going to say about me? <laughs> tell them at lunch. Don't tell them now. Uh, here's the deal. Dad, I want to ask you a question. What will your story be? What will others be saying about you? That's my prayer. That when the dust settles of our life, that God gets the glory. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are with us and that you love us. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you uh, are working in us and with us to become great men and women of God, to be great leaders. Uh, And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us as fathers to step up and be the men of God you've called us to be, to be the role models you've called us to be, to be the spiritual leaders you've called us to be. God, we might have failed, we might have messed up, but God, I know that we have. But God, I know that, that with you, we can get up, we can be authentic, we can be real, we can get on our knees and fight like a man in our prayer life and model Jesus to our kids and to our family and to our grandkids. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to receive our, our fathers who have messed up give them a chance to begin again as you've forgiven us Lord help us to forgive our fathers who have hurt us God we love you and we thank you Lord that you are the father of fathers and you are a father to the fatherless God help me to be a dad that will be honor to you that my story will one day say he loved Jesus and he stood strong Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.